In contrast, Jesus taught his followers to love their enemies. But I say unto you, said Jesus, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Life Talk, and thank you so much for joining us. Today, Pastor Jeff begins a revealing new two-part mini-series called The Gathering Storm. Pope Francis recently stated, The persecution of Christians today is even more virulent than in the first centuries of the church, and there are more Christian martyrs today than in that era. If you've been listening to the mainstream media, to politicians, to college professors, or to the all-wise, all-knowing celebrities in Hollywood and the music industry, it would be very hard for you to imagine that Christians are suffering persecution anywhere in the world. But Christians and Jews have always been fair game for persecution and ridicule to the world system. If you don't believe that, just try praying in the name of Jesus in schools or football games or in your city councils. But if you are from any other religion, you are celebrated and even given special waivers to practice your faith. Pastor Jeff dives into a very controversial message about the dark storm that is gathering in this nation and all over the world. So grab your Bibles and let's go right to Pastor Jeff's message entitled, The Gathering Storm. I don't know how much of the news you watch or read. If you watch any of it, well, of course, American media isn't telling us most of what's going on. But you at least know that throughout the Middle East and many other places in the world, there is a storm of Islamic persecution that has been unleashed against Jews and Christians primarily. Not only, but specifically and primarily. People like you and me and our children, dads and moms, uncles and aunts and elementary school children and babies and teenagers have fallen under the gun of Islamic persecution. Pope Francis stated, the persecution of Christians today is even more virulent than in the first centuries of the church. And there are more Christian martyrs today than in that era. Now stop and think about that statement. Because when we talk about, you know, the first century church, we always talk about how that wicked Nero and all the other Roman emperors so viciously persecuted God's people. And Nero taking Christians and putting them on stakes and covering them with pitch and lighting them as torches to light his garden. We hear all those terrible stories. And even Fox's Book of Martyrs is how the church was built on the blood of martyrs. But here is the Pope saying that martyrdom, 
Christian martyrdom is more today than then. And here we are, we're in a little protected bubble, a bubble which is getting thinner by the day. So what I believe is it's time to pull our heads out of the sand and blow a trumpet and tell the truth. Now, what's even worse to me is that the atrocities against Christians at the hands of these brutal Islamic terrorists are being really largely ignored. Our woefully biased, left-leaning, agenda-driven news media breaks speed records to cover the shooting death of one teenager in St. Louis, as bad as that was, yet they, along with the White House, respond with virtual silence to the wholesale torture and massacre of men, women, and children just because they are Christian. I believe the Western church is going to have to wake up. And I said in the first service, to any pastors listening, I love pastors. I fellowship with pastors. I minister to pastors. But pastors, it's time for us to get out of the church bubble, bless me club, and start telling the truth about what's happening to our brethren around the world. We've got to insist that the media start covering it and that the White House recognize it and do something about it. Now, like I said, I'm going to be very blunt. I'm going to be very open and very truthful and straightforward today. I want to clear up some disinformation about the difference between Islam and Christianity. Now, I'm not going to say anything that is not found in their own Quran. I'm not going to say anything that is not in the historical record. I have no personal axe to grind. I'm just going to tell the truth. We're told by many today that Islam is a peaceful religion. President Bush, as you know, went on record following 9-11 and said Islam is basically a peaceful religion. And on top of that, we're told by some that we all worship essentially the same God, that the God of Islam and the God of Christianity or the God of Judaism are one and the same, that it's just different names for the same God. This is what we're told. This is the propaganda that's out there. The God that is called Allah by Muslims or Buddha by Buddhists or Jehovah or Yahweh by Jews and Christians, he's the same God. We just got him under a different name, but we're worshiping the same one. I'm going to show you today that that is absolutely impossible. Now, there are even some, and I'm talking about a couple of names, and if I named them, you would know them, Christian leaders who are saying the two are so much the same, the two gods are so similar that we just need to merge them into one faith and call it Chrislam. Chrislam. I'm going to show you that that's impossible. Now, let's take a little brief walk through the history of Islam. Islam began in 622 AD. The name Islam, you should know, means submission, to be in subjection to, to be dominated over. The meaning of its name is in line with Islam's goal, which is total world domination under the rule of what is called Sharia law. Now, that's straight out of their Quran. That's straight out of their founding documents. If you ask a knowledgeable 
Muslim, what is your goal? What is Islam's goal? World domination. And I'm going to read it to you. In the equivalent of their Bible, which is the Quran, it says in chapter 61, verse 9, quote, He it is who has sent his messenger Muhammad with guidance and the religion of truth to make it victorious over all other religions. Let me say that again. Victorious, as in conquest, over all other religions, including Judaism, Christianity, even though the infidels, and that's you and me, any non-Muslim is an infidel, even though the infidels hate it, end quote. Now let me just summarize that. It's easy. Islam's goal is world domination under Sharia law, no matter whether or not those subjected to it hate it or not. In other words, it's not a voluntary joining. It is by conquest. When Muslims or Islam takes control, their dominance is carried out by Sharia law. Sharia law controls all aspects of Muslim life, daily routines, family and religious life, financial dealings, everything. Everything under Sharia law is under that iron fist. Wherever Islam gains control, Sharia law follows without exception. And it might shock you to know that Sharia law has already made inroads into America. Once Sharia law is instituted, that society is dominated and owned by the Muslim religion. Listen to what one leading American Islamic cleric said. American Islamic cleric. Quote, Islam isn't in America to be equal to any other faith, but to become dominant. The Quran should be the highest authority in America, and Islam the only accepted religion on earth. Do you hear that? That the Quran should be the highest authority in America, and Islam the only accepted religion on earth. Well, where does that leave Christianity, Judaism, any other religion, Buddhism, anything? It is all overshadowed by, squelched by, stopped by the dominance of Islam. You ought to know, church and America, that Islamic principles defined by Sharia law are in absolute direct opposition to everything Americans believe regarding the law and civil society. If Sharia law were ever to take control, our freedom of speech and religion would totally disappear. My ability to do this right here, right now, would be gone. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I anticipate it, and I'm going to answer you. While it's true that many Muslims are peaceful and reject violence, and I know that, many do. However, the intrinsic nature of Islam, the DNA of Islam, focuses on world domination. It's in their founding documents. It was in the heartbeat of Muhammad. It is their intention and their belief, and it's where their faith is. As for its size, Islam is the second largest religion after Christianity in the world. There are over 1.5 billion people in the world who call themselves Muslim compared to 2.1 billion who call themselves Christian. Let me break that down in percentages. 22% of the world call themselves Muslim and 31% Christian. Now, the founder of Islam, as most of you know, is named Muhammad. Muhammad was born around 570 A.D., in a place called Mecca, 
which today is modern Saudi Arabia, that area. When Muhammad was 40 years of age, he claimed that he received a visitation from the angel Gabriel. Gabriel visited Muhammad and according to him, began to give him revelations and truth about the world, about God's will for the world, about Allah, Islam's God, and about the future. And these so-called revelations continued until Muhammad's death in 632 AD. Now, it's these revelations that he claimed to having received from Gabriel that were eventually compiled by his followers in what became known as the Quran, the Islamic Bible. So the Quran is supposedly the statements of Gabriel to Muhammad in a book. When Muhammad started to preach these revelations, he was met by resistance in his hometown of Mecca. Uh, after some years of rejection and persecution, Muhammad migrated in 622 AD to the town of Medina, also in that area of Saudi Arabia. Now, Medina had a very large Jewish and Christian population who Muhammad attempted to persuade his way, bring them to the belief that he was a prophet like a Bible prophet. Like he was like another Isaiah, Jeremiah. He carried the word of God. He tried to convince them of this, but they rejected him as a prophet in Medina. But now he persevered. And over time, his influence in Medina grew, and it was here that he established the first Islamic state. Now, when an Islamic state is established, we hear it today, it's called a caliphate. A caliphate is where a caliph, C-A-L-I-P-H, a caliph is an Islamic leader who takes control, leadership over an area, and once he does, then the caliph creates a caliphate. He created the first caliphate in Medina, and he became its political and religious leader. Now, from this point forward, Islam grew and spread like wildfire through the power, not of words, but primarily the sword. It's all there in history. It's all there for anybody to go read. They spread following Medina through military conquest, what they call jihad. Now, in 630 A.D., Muhammad led his followers back to his hometown of Mecca, where they subdued it through force, through jihad. So Mecca fell to Islam by the power of the sword. In a few short decades after the death of Muhammad, Islam had spread like wildfire with large sections of North Africa, Asia, and the Middle East falling to its violent armies, even Israel and Jerusalem. Now, these facts alone, Stay with me and think with me for a minute, church. These facts alone should tell you that Islam and Christianity are polar opposites. The Lord Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Now, you notice right there that Jesus is telling you and me to judge. You know what the most popular Bible verse out there is in the secular culture with the folks that don't go to church and don't know the Lord? They know this one, judge not that you be not judged. You're not supposed to judge. Who are you to judge? And they quote Matthew 7, verse 1. But here's the deal. Of course we're to judge. Jesus wasn't telling us to put blinders on our eyes when he gave us that verse. He was saying, don't involve yourself in self-righteous, condescending judgment. Don't judge others for what is in your own life. 
but he never said, don't judge. How in the world am I going to tell if a piece of fruit is good or rotten unless I judge it? Come on. Well, Pastor Jeff, it's not right to judge. Of course it's right to judge. Even the sparrows in my backyard stay alive by judging a hawk when they see one. I mean, they know the shadow of that hawk when it comes. I've watched them because I feed them. All of a sudden, you'll hear this flurry of wings. They run up against the window. They got out of there. They fled in a hundred different directions. You look and way out there is a hawk. A blue jay can fly up. Hey, a cardinal can come along. They don't do a thing. They know what a hawk looks like. They know how it flies. They know what it sounds like. They know their enemy. They judge, and by judging, they stay alive. And you think God's going to tell us not to do the same? So what are the fruits of these two religions? Jesus said, you're going to know them by their fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. So what are the fruits of these two religions, Christianity and Islam? Let's look at the two founders, because as is the root, so goes the fruit. Whatever the root is, and the root of any religion is its founder, then the fruit will be according to the root. So what did the two founders teach? What was their message? Well, Muhammad taught his followers to take up the sword and kill on behalf of Islam. And again, I'm just quoting from the Quran. In the Quran, there are 109 verses that have to do with violence towards non-Muslims. 109. Quran, chapter 9, verse 5. Fight, this is Muhammad, fight and kill the disbelievers wherever you find them. Take them captive, harass them, lie in wait, and ambush them using every stratagem of war. Quran chapter 9, verse 14. Fight them, non-believers, non-Muslims, and Allah will punish them by your hands. Lay them low and cover them with shame. He, Allah, will help you. So here's the message. When a Muslim kills someone in the name of Islam, it's really not them. It's Allah doing it through them. That's the message. In contrast, do you know that our Lord Jesus taught nonviolence as clearly as anything? He was nonviolent. He said to Simon Peter, you remember when the guards came to arrest Jesus? Simon Peter pulled out his sword and whacked off that guy's ear. You remember that? And what did Jesus say? He looked at Simon Peter and kind of said, tisk tisk. He said, Simon, Put up your sword back in its place. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And he picked up this man's ear and put it back on, and voila, it was healed and put back in place. Now, guess what? If I watch somebody pick up an ear off the ground and put it on some guy's head, and it's immediately healed, I don't arrest him. I take him home with me. <laughs> Come home with me. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, who couldn't understand why he wasn't fighting, why he wasn't standing up for himself. Jesus said, here's why. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world, so my followers don't fight. Look at the two polar opposites. 
Kill those who don't agree with you, one. Love those who don't agree with you, two. Muhammad taught his followers to hate and destroy those who are not Muslim. The Quran says in chapter 98, verse 6, that non-Muslims are, quote, the most vile of created beings. In contrast, Jesus taught his followers to love their enemies. But I say unto you, said Jesus, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. For there you are being like your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what have you done that the heathen do? See, Jesus said, I'm taking you a step above that when you've got an enemy, I want you to love them. Not hate them, reject them, spurn them, ostracize them, or kill them. And what about Islam's beliefs? Now, one day, Paul the Apostle in 1 Timothy, he wrote a really small encapsulated statement of faith. And here it is. I love it. He said in 1 Timothy 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Isn't that an amen verse? Isn't that a great one? Now, the followers of Islam would agree with the first five words in that verse. There is one God. Now, there is one God. They would agree with that, although Christianity teaches a triune God. That there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. He is three in one. But Islam says one God, not triune, but one. His name is Allah. He's not the same. Biblical Christianity teaches emphatically that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that Jesus alone died for our sins, and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that salvation is a free gift received by believing in Jesus alone. Our Father in heaven, our God, our faith, has not demanded we become martyrs and blow ourselves up to kill people to enter into paradise, or that we subjugate others by force to become Christians. No, our God gave His own Son to die for us, so that by faith in His name alone, we can be saved and assured of our eternal life with Him. Today, if you are in any religion that demands for you to die for your sins, or that you can somehow earn your way into heaven by blowing yourself up and killing others as well, then we invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your hope of salvation, that you receive God's forgiveness and love by believing that Jesus Christ died for you. He is not asking you to die, but He died in your place. And when you do, we welcome you into the light and into the family of God. Well, that's it for this time. We hope you've enjoyed the message and will remember the words of Elisha. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Be sure to join us on the next Life Talk program as Pastor Jeff continues with part two of the message, The Gathering Storm. Until then, may God's rich blessings be yours. Today's program is entitled, The Gathering Storm. You can get a copy of this message for just $5 plus shipping. 
Log on to LifeTalkRadio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. Get your copy of today's message for just $5 plus shipping by logging on to LifeTalkRadio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. Hi, this is Jeff Wickwire, the host of Life Talk Radio, and I've got some exciting news for you. It's been in my heart for quite some time to see our Turning Point worship team produce their own Christ-exalting music. And you know what? It's finally happened. TPC Worship's debut album, Mercy Triumphs, is available right now on iTunes and Amazon, or you can visit tpcfamily.org forward slash worship to get your copy today. That's tpcfamily.org forward slash worship and get your copy, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener supported ministry. We exist to bring God's word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.